0: All Christians are engaged in what the Westminster Confession of Faith calls an irreconcilable war against the sin remaining in our own hearts, and against the rage and ongoing malice of the devil, and against the church of Christ in every place. When a man enters into the Christian ministry to serve a local church, he actually steps into a new world of warfare against God and against the gospel of Jesus Christ. That warfare is most often seen in skirmishes for unity around the gospel And the importance of following the Bible's commands for how the local church is to be structured and stewarded in this present age as we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many modern ministers are deeply confused about who they are and what they are to do and particularly how they are to serve the people in the churches that they're at. Fear, confusion, depression, and loneliness are often the constant friends of the minister and those whom he ministers to. I know for me that was the case when I first came here to this church, but a friend pointed me to one of his friends who opened his heart to me and to our church, and that friend is here with us this evening. Dr. Mark Dever has helped thousands across the world to move through the Bible to understand the careful instruction about what a church is and what a church should do and what ministers should do in service of the people that God has entrusted to their churches as they gather together in one place under the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Mark is a native of Kentucky, a graduate of Duke University, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he studied with men like Roger Nicole and David Wells, Southern Seminary, where he studied with Timothy George, who has been with us here on a previous occasion, and then finally he earned a PhD from Cambridge, where the focus of his time and study was on the life and ministry of the great Puritan Richard Sibbs. From Mark, I have learned how to preach the Bible better, how to serve the Lord's people as the Bible would direct us as Christian ministers. And how to encourage others as he encouraged me, even when he did not know he was being particularly encouraging to me. And from Mark, I have learned how to do spiritual good to others as I strive to help them follow Jesus as disciples. That is precisely why we have asked him to be with us here this evening, and to help us think about how to disciple others. But as we have learned in our own lives and ministries, that is not always easy. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, you have learned and felt the presence and the power of sin pulling at your heart and polluting the relationships in your life, especially the relationships within the context of the Church of Christ. And so we begin tonight with an encouragement from Richard Sibbs. Christ's dislike of that which is amiss in us turns not to be the hatred of our persons, but to the victorious subduing of all of our infirmities. Think for a moment on that promise. God will be victorious in subduing all of our sins and infirmities as he moves us And conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ, his son, through the ordinary means of grace and the friendships that he gives us. He gives us his friends as our own to help us follow Jesus. It is not always pleasant and it is not always easy, but it is a precious promise that we are not alone and that God has our good for us. With that encouragement in our hearts, I'm going to pray for Mark and then invite him to teach us tonight. Father, we are indeed grateful For the privilege to be able to gather together again this evening. We do not take that for granted. Father, we thank you that we were able to encourage one another with our voices uh, this evening. We pray that for those who might be here now and are particularly lonely and discouraged, may their presence by other people, the voices of other saints singing the same truths and promises, be an encouragement to them. Father, we pray for our brother Mark. We are so grateful for his life, his ministry, his influence Indeed, that's why so many of us have come this evening, to be encouraged by someone who has encouraged us. We pray that you would help him to recall what he has prepared to teach us, and we pray that you would help us to learn. We are reminded that with every opportunity like this to come and to learn, there is a responsibility to steward what you are entrusting to us. Help us to steward it well for the glory of Christ and the good of your church. In the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen.
1: Good to be with you guys tonight. Thank you so much for coming out on a Sunday evening. Uh, I thank Raymond, particularly, for the invitation. uh, And what a great topic to end the Lord's Day thinking about together. Uh, Let me just locate the topic in in a couple of ways. Um, uh, Number one, normally, when we think about the ministry of the Word, we think about the preached Word. We think about what most of us would have experienced this morning in our churches, where someone opened God's Word to us and edified the church by expounding a particular passage. Uh, And that's uh, a crucial ministry in Christ's church. There is also the ministry that's talked about repeatedly in the New Testament of the word from member to member. Uh, Tony Payne, who wrote a book about 10 years ago called The Trellis in the Vine, that a a lot of ministers in America read. He's an Australian-Anglican. Uh, has just done some research recently in a degree program he was in on this other word ministry in the church. Uh, As Protestants, we normally think of the preached word uh, as word ministry in the church, and that is absolutely vital. It, It depicts the grace of God's salvation coming to us, unbidden by us, undeserved by us. We've not created it. It comes gratuitously to us. So preaching is, is central and wonderful. However, it is not the only word ministry that the New Testament depicts in the local church. Uh, part of the word ministry that God the Holy Spirit builds up his churches with is the ministry of the members to each other as they bring God's word. And this, I think, is less thought about uh, in churches often, certainly less theologically and biblically reflected on, and yet is a powerful part of God's building up of his church. I said to a group of pastors last year, I think there are sort of five things that pastors often think about that have this same germ at the middle. You you can think of sort of your, your five fingers. There's missions that we think about leading the church in. Similar to that would be church planting. That would be kind of local missions. Really at the root of that is raising up elders, seeing new preachers and pastors being raised up in the local church. Fundamental to that, of course, is the ministry of evangelism. Uh, If we're not sharing the gospel, if people aren't coming to Christ, there'll be no new elders raised up. And a part of that that we often don't think about that we're focusing on tonight is discipling. That is helping somebody else follow Jesus. Now, what is common between those five activities? Missions, church planning, raising up elders, evangelism, discipling. It is this idea that part of your following Christ is to help others follow Christ. Not an an extra, additional, optional package, but part of the basic package of following Christ is you helping others follow Christ. Now, the Lord gives us different gifts, He puts us in different life situations, we have different abilities. Uh, It won't look exactly alike. But that we do that, that we all as Christians do that, that we normally as Christians do that, uh, I take as as a given and I'll happily talk about that more if we have time for Q&A at the end of this. This generally is this topic of discipling. Let's just uh, imagine two church members. Let me call them Bill and Bob. Uh, Bob means to be a serious Christian. He's a Bible student. He likes to know what the Bible says about everything. Bob would regularly come to a meeting like this on Sunday nights. He can explain the Trinity and even predestination if you ask him to. Uh, some of his uh, actions may not seem to show it. In fact, in some ways, his life doesn't seem very Christian at all. But, but he knows his Bible, and he's always down for a theological conversation. And then there's Bill. Well, Bill doesn't really advertise the fact, but honestly, he's not much into Bible reading. He doesn't say that. He doesn't well, wear t shirts with that emblazoned on it. But he, he's more into living a holy life. He's very into the disciplines of the Christian life, and he really wants to love others. He could not explain to you very well who Christ is exactly or, or what the church is. He couldn't define ethical issues even very carefully. But he means to live a life distinctive from the selfish, self consumed lives he sees so many other people living. He's not so interested in the Bible and doctrine. He's more focused on relationships. That's Bill. Now I wonder, which one of these two sounds more like you? I'm guessing since you're here on a Sunday night at a meeting like this, Bob sounds more like a lot of you. (laughs) But what I want to encourage is for Bob to care more about people and for Bill to care more about truth. Really, you could say that I want them both to care more about God, and if they do, they will come to care more about God, and in loving him increasingly, that love will lead them to the truth about him and all that he's revealed of his ways of love toward us, and that will lead them to love all those made in his image, especially those who are united to Christ by faith and so spiritually united to them. A disciple is a follower of Christ. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, that whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So a disciple isn't someone who merely says that they're following Christ, but a real disciple is one who's been united to Christ, and so normally to Christ's people. I appreciate, Raymond, you had people announce what churches they were from. That's useful for me to hear. In the local church, we are all indwelt and filled with the same spirit. Indeed, if we're all from gospel preaching churches, it's an extraordinary fact that even though different denominations may have us as a numeral somewhere in their distinct totals of membership, we are actually ontologically indwelt by the very same Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that, that amazing? Praise the Lord. What a wonderful prospect is this to follow one who has loved us so, who has Cared for us as he did and as he does and has promised us what he's promised us. It's because we love and trust him and follow him as we do that we are rightly called his disciples. And that's where we have to begin in what we're thinking about this evening. In remembering why it is that we ourselves are really and truly following Christ. So if this is what it means to follow Christ ourselves, to be a disciple... What does it then mean to disciple, using that as a verb, someone else? It means to help them follow Christ. You know, the basic pattern of discipling really is built into the fabric of the world, in the very way God made families, in the way we experience time, in the way we mature as individuals. And it's built into the fabric of the church. We are here because someone else shared the gospel with us. Discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so that they will be more like Christ. So discipleship is our own following of Christ. Discipling is that subset of our discipleship in which we are helping someone else to follow Christ. So evangelism is one part of discipling when you share the gospel with a non-Christian. But there's much more we can do for others beyond simply evangelizing them. We can help them to see not only how to begin following Jesus, but we can help them to see what it means to continue to follow Jesus. Again, discipling is deliberately doing spiritual good to someone else so that they will be more like Christ. And that's the basic way that all of our interactions at church are to be considered. Whether we spent this morning working in child care, or greeting a friend, or asking a question to an elder, or answering it, or trying to give physical help to someone, or or praying for a, requ- a request. All of our interactions at church are to be seeking to do spiritual good to someone else so that they might be more like Christ. So discipleship, discipleship is a relationship with Christ, and discipling is a particular relationship in which you initiate, you model, you love, you teach, you humble yourself, you counsel, you influence, you warn. Whatever objections you may have to the idea, we realize how important it is because in one sense, we are only here tonight because the first disciples of Jesus began to do this And there has been a chain of obedience and love that has come down literally unbroken from those first disciples to us. Had we the omniscience of God, we could tell you exactly who we are descended from. Well, Andrew talked to Bartholomew, and Bartholomew talked to Matthias, and Matthias talked to Jude, and Jude talked to Thomas, and Thomas talked, and we could follow it all down. We don't have that kind of omniscience. But that is the way we've gotten here. Of course, the characteristics that are particularly pronounced among us as the people of God that are to mark us are love and obedience. Love and obedience. These characteristics are exemplified supremely in the life of Christ. They're taught in some of his most central and well-known teachings, the Great Commandment in Mark 12 and the Great Commission in Matthew 28. If you consider the obligations of love there in Mark chapter 12, remember that's where the lawyer asks Jesus about the law, and he summarizes the commandments by two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in Matthew 28, Jesus commanded the disciples to go and make disciples, teaching them to observe, that is, keep, that is, obey, everything that he had commanded. So God is glorified by such love and obedience. So tonight, I want to raise the question of how. Specifically, how are we to disciple? How do we help Bob care more about living out his faith, and Bill care more about understanding it? This isn't something just for pastors. So, if you're a pastor, please stand. So, you guys realize you have to be concerned about this. I mean, this this is your job. If you're not concerned about this, you're failing. Please be seated. Now, if you're a member and a regular attender of a Christian church and understand yourself to be a Christian, please stand. Other than the pastors. Other than the pastors. Here's the news, friends. This is your job, too. If you are not doing this, you are not doing what you should do. You don't have to be an elder to do this. You need to be a follower of Jesus to do this. Please be seated. I wasn't quite as harsh on you. <laughs> James 3.1, I'm just hanging with the Bible. But, but it isn't something just for pastors. And if you disagree with that, that's a crucial bit for you to try to get your mind around tonight. Try to think, this isn't something just for pastors. According to the Bible, there are a lot of things that we are to do for one another. So Second John 5 tells us that we are to love one another. 1 Thessalonians 5:11 tells us that we are to encourage one another and build one another up. Romans 15:14 tells us that we are to instruct one another. We want to see everyone mature in Christ as Paul says in Colossians 1:28. Now we want to heed what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 10:24, "Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works." And that's precisely what we're doing in this message. We're trying to help consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We'll consider this under three heads, Um, three heads. I, uh, I think, yeah, we'll do it as three. First, choose who you want to work with. Two, have clear aims. Three, pay the cost. Number one, choose who you want to work with. Two, have clear aims. Three, pay the cost. I pray that as we consider the practicalities of this tonight, choosing someone to help, aiming to help them both in their understanding and their living out of what they understand, and especially how we can do this, I pray that you will want to disciple others and that you will feel like you can. So let's jump in. One, choose who you want to work with. Choose who you want to work with. You won't be able to work with everybody in a deliberate way. So who should you pour into Well, you're going to have to choose. Now, I want to pick up my Bible and just sketch out for you a picture of a person or persons you should be pouring into. So let me suggest nine factors for you to consider. I'm sure more could be thought of. I don't want want to say these are the nine characteristics of someone that you should disciple. But let me just say these are a good place to start. Number one, and, and I think maybe in this order, family members family members. Paul writes in 1st Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Friends, from this and other passages, we see that the Bible teaches us that we have a special responsibility for those who are in our own family. We've been given by God a lifelong relationship and natural grounds for affection and concern, particularly if you live with them. And if you are responsible for them, as parents are for their children, but the husband is for his wife, then those are the people who are your most important discipling charge, especially while they're living with you. Number two, Christians. You should evangelize your non-Christian friends, but it's pointless to try to otherwise disciple them as if they're Christians. Remember 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. First Corinthians 2.14, you want to disciple a Christian. Number three is the person a church member. We read in Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. We have a greater responsibility for those that we have committed to in our own congregation to help them and be helped by them. We're following and submitting to the same body of elders. Uh, There will be more unity of teaching on secondary matters. We'll be hearing the same teaching already. We've already agreed in our church, for example, to the same statement of faith and the same church covenant. We'll be gathering regularly. All of these are reasons why this is normally more expedient. Furthermore, we might consider the damage we could be doing unintentionally if we try to provide regular spiritual feeding to brothers and sisters that they can't get in their own churches because those churches are not teaching the Bible. I appreciate your concern for the individual, but maybe you could also think strategically about how to see those FACO churches collapse. Don't be giving food to people in them. Realize, help them realize that those people are helping to support those churches by their attendance, their presence, and their money. We'll talk more about that with the pastors who are here tomorrow. We may actually enable them to stay in bad churches longer if we're not careful. So just to get off my management, to be controversial. (laughs) I I love uh, things like neighborhood Bible studies. Um, You know, there are various Bible study fellowships that are well-known where there are people from different churches who are working together. And I really, honestly, sincerely appreciate the Christians that are built up by these ministries. And I am seriously concerned about churches that have the responsibility to teach the word taken off them by these Bible study ministries. And those churches then continue to survive because there are people who are sincerely loving the Lord, but they're not given the wisdom to understand how they are creating spiritual graveyards for other people because they're feeding somewhere else and then continuing to go to this demonic restaurant on Sundays. Think carefully about the ministries you support. So I think it's best if you disciple somebody who's a member of your church. I think there are exceptions to this. It's not an absolute rule, needs wisdom, but you should at least carefully consider the question. A fourth thing to consider is their gender. First uh, Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 2, all have information for us on the responsibility of husbands for their wives. Parents for their children, older women for younger women. So, for example, Titus chapter 2, verse 3 older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, my ministry in public is to teach men and women. When people ask me, Mark, why does Capitol have no men's ministry? I say, Well, we have a thriving men's ministry. It's a Sunday morning service. And it's a Sunday evening prayer meeting. And it's the Wednesday night Bible study. But what about the women's ministry? Well, you have a thriving women's ministry. Well, what is it? It's the Sunday morning service. It's the prayer meeting on Sunday night. It's our Wednesday night Bible study. So we all have a mother and a father. We all have men and women in our families. We all have conversations with men and women. So in our local churches, we covenant together with members who are men and women. And yet when it comes to a normal, deliberate discipling relationship, it is wise for men to disciple men and for women to disciple women. We recognize that gender is a God-given reality and a great one, and we mean to treat it realistically and respectfully. We love and at the same time labor to avoid wrong intimacies. Number five, age. Consider the age of the person. In the passage that we just read in there in Titus, younger women are learning from the older Uh, When Paul writes to Timothy, Paul tells him both not to allow his youth to be despised and yet also encourages him to be especially respectful of older men. You have both those elements. Normally, you would disciple someone younger than yourself. Having said that, Scripture is full of exceptional examples of the younger teaching the older. God gets glory through that. And surely as we advance in age, uh, we want to advance in humility in learning from those our own age and even younger than us. Uh, We have to learn that eventually, or we have no teachers left. Personally, I find that I learn lots from guys in their 20s and 30s, and I learn lots from people in their 70s and 80s. I would just say, as a pastor, often the most difficult people are people in their 40s and 50s. Why would you say that, Mark? Because people in their 20s and 30s are used to everybody being older than them and taking orders. And people in their 60s and 70s have gotten well used to learning from people younger than them. But people in their 40s and 50s are sometimes having to learn that lesson for the first time. They're having to learn like, wait, I'm supposed to learn from this teacher in my Sunday school class, he's just 35? What does he know? What has he been through? Well, they'll learn. So just be patient with the people in their 40s and 50s. You know, they often have young kids at home. They're being beat up in other ways. Just, just pray that the Lord help them to realize they can learn a lot from that 24-year-old. You know, just like the 45-year-olds are teaching the 70-year-olds. And those sweet 70-year-olds are sitting there just loving it, being kind. One of the things that I learned coming to an elderly congregation, uh, as our congregation was in Washington, D.C., was how incredibly kind and supportive older members are uh, and how to respect people in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and we just had Herb Carlson's funeral. He was over 100. Uh, and very often, those people are sitting there hearing one out of every three words you say because of their hearing, and yet there they sit, smiling and rooting for you and praying for you. Uh, they're to be esteemed, friends. Uh, there, there's something admirable to be said about every stage in life. I remember when uh, I first got to our church church, As you can tell, I have a loud voice, and Charlie Trainham at the time was in his late 90s came up to me after a Wednesday night Bible study and said, Preacher, I want to pay you $500 just because I can hear every word you say. (laughs) And you think of that man sitting there. He'd been in our church since the 1920s, and I think his hearing must have been going bad for at least 15 or 20 years. So can you imagine, like, tuning in every week to the same meeting and smiling at people and all of a sudden being able to hear what's being said? (laughs) There is much esteem I have for people like that. Anyway, consider age as a factor. Number six, uh, people that are different than you. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.18, For through him, that is, through Christ, we both, he meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So this reality that we experience today in our churches reflects the unity that we have all been made in the image of God, and the even more complete unity that we experience by being indwelt by the same Spirit, and knowing that we will one day come into full fruition of that heritage in the future that we have together, uh, presented in Revelation 7. Verse 9, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise the Lord. I've been amazed at how so many evangelical Christians have fallen into the trap of secular ideologies which define us by our origins. When, as of all people, Christians should know, our origins are wretched. We're born in sin. We're born hateful and divided from each other. Our only hope is that we have a common future. Now, our, our, our dear, poor Marxist secular friends don't have any access to that in their own mind. They don't understand that. They think everything we do is only about money and power. Those are the only categories they have. Marxism is a very insufficient way to understand human reality. One of the advantages as Christians we have in perceiving reality is we understand that there are other things that motivate people. And we understand that we have not a past that's in common, though there is some of that that's common. We're all made in the image of God. But much more importantly, we have a future that's been purchased for us that's common and eternal. And that's where we get our identity from. So our identity does not come from from past differences. Our identity as Christians comes from the shared future that we have in Christ. That's what Ephesians is all about. Having said that, very practically, as you look for someone to disciple, by all means, middle-aged wives and mothers befriend each other. have a middle-aged wives Bible study. Of course, you have things in common that God can use to help you. We have young married couple groups in our church, particularly for the first two years of marriage, to try to help them learn things. Young single guys have young single guy friends. That's great. But also, Consider what there is to learn, to teach, and to display by college students working with the children and youth. By people from other countries uh, working with people from America. By internationals from England and Brazil and China and Korea meeting up with Americans. By older African-American husbands discipling younger white husbands. How many of us can give testimony of the good we've received from folks in our own congregation who are very different than us? So I'm not trying to all discourage you having friends like yourself. I'm very much meaning to discourage you only having friends like yourself, particularly as a Christian. There's something particularly Jesus evidencing about our having close friends with people with whom we don't have a lot of shared physical characteristics. Number seven, look for someone who's teachable. Teachable. We read in Psalm 25, verse 9, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You don't want to spend time trying to teach someone who thinks you have nothing to teach them. And that they have nothing to learn. Friends, teach the teachable. And be teachable yourself. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've seen people with great potential... But they have a glass jaw when it comes to criticism. You really can't criticize them. And so you kind of have to leave them like they were. You thank God for the gifts that are there. You pray use them. But you look for the less talented people who are more humble. And they'll grow and change. That's, that's what you're looking to be yourself and that you're looking for for discipling material. Number eight, those who are faithful to teach others. Again, I'll think about this more with the pastors tomorrow. and We're going to walk through 2 Timothy But Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we want to teach everyone. We especially want to teach those who themselves will turn to teach those who will want to teach others. So we will add if we have to, but we would really like to multiply. We're not simply mentoring the next generation. We are working to reach all the other generations to come. They might go off in Acts 2 and what it really means. Not infant baptism, but, but. anyway, that's, that's another time. Okay, number nine. Number nine. Look at the proximity you have to the person. Look, look at the work schedules. Do they line up? Paul writes in Galatians 6, verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And you'll find a number of other verses like this one, calling us to make the best use of our time. Uh, This final characteristic that I'm talking about is simply a matter of wisdom. Find those whose schedules align with your own, where you live or work, what time your commitments are with your family or your job, your church. Assume that God is not calling you to do the impossible. I don't know how many times I've seen young mothers struggle over feeling socially isolated and feeling part of their misery is they felt they had a vibrant ministry before that's now all gone. Well, of course, as churches, we have to be encouraging them constantly. It's not all gone. The Lord's relocated it to the wonderful tribe he's given you that you have a unique opportunity for for a short amount of time. You know, you might say, well, but all the kids, it's not a short amount of time. I know, but with each individual one, it's a fairly short amount of time. If you keep having more kids, it will be a longer amount of time. But. So on this and all of these, ask other friends for wisdom when you're considering doing this. If you have questions about initiating with a particular person, find somebody you respect who knows them and say, hey, do you think think Tom would be a good person for me to try to have lunch with every once in a while? Does he seem to be very spiritually hungry to you? And all of this, whether you're self-consciously discipling one person or four, or being discipled by two or three people, make sure that you are doing what you can to grow spiritually and then to help those around you. Both are important, and each contributes to the other. Uh, We should move on. Let me give a second practical issue to address briefly on how to disciple beyond the specific person that you would try to disciple. Number two, have clear aims in mind. Have clear aims in mind. You want to help them be more like Christ. How specifically? Let me suggest a very good summary of this is to think in terms of them growing in both their understanding and their living. That initial illustration I gave of Bob and Bill. You want to help them understand more. Uh, We understand the particular message is fundamental to us being Christians, the gospel. So if you've come here tonight and you're not a Christian, uh, we have wonderful news for you. You're made in the image of God. Uh, Something is bad wrong. You have done what is bad and God says is actually evil. That explains some of the dislocations and pain you have in your conscience, some of the regrets you have. And God will judge you forever because he is good. But there is hope in that he has sent his only son to become true truly a man and live a life of perfect trust in his heavenly father never sinning or doing what is wrong he died on the cross specifically as a sacrifice bearing god's justice for all of those who would turn and trust in him god raised him from the dead he ascended to heaven presented his sacrifice to his heavenly father and he calls everybody now to turn from their sins and trust in him and he will forgive us of our sins and give us a whole new life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Friend, if you don't understand what that would mean in your own life, even if you're not a Christian, if you just want to think, what would it be like for me to be one? Let me encourage you to talk to the Christian you came with tonight. Or if you came not knowing anybody in particular, talk to one of the people around you uh, that you'd meet here tonight. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 2, What you have heard from me... In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is talking about a message. It's what he'd written to Timothy about earlier in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we want to understand why we pray as we do, why we share the gospel, why we join a church Why we live life together as Christians in a local church. So, in our discipling someone, we can't simply talk about life as if we're all about, uh, as if the only thing we're about is sort of an accountability group or behavior modification. No, we're about a much wider understanding of what it means to be a complete disciple of Jesus Christ. We understand that we want to obey Christ's command to teach them to observe all that He has commanded, but they can't observe or obey what they don't know about. We have to teach them first. In that sense, discipling is mentoring, but uniquely Christian mentoring. So we may outline a book of the Bible with someone or in some other fashion, teach them the word. Uh, The word of God is central to any discipling relationship. Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians, exhorting them to Christian living. But in the midst of it, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, he used this phrase, holding fast to the word of life. That's a great phrase, good one to meditate on. Holding fast to the word of life. Friends, encourage each other to hold fast to the word of life. We do that by reading the word, by understanding it, by obeying it. We especially want people to understand that it's the gospel that saves us and what that gospel is. So we're happy to read books by all kinds of people. You can read books by Robert Coleman or Don Whitney or Jonathan Lehman or Greg Gilbert or Will Metzger to help us, but all these books at their best are taking us to the Bible. We want the basics of the Christian faith and life to be clearly understood. You know, the sort of life-truth-life pattern. Life attracts, truth transforms, life then illustrates and instructs. Life attracts, truth transforms, life then illustrates and instructs. So we learn to observe, to change, because you want to help them to live better. So it's not just their understanding. You remember what Paul said in in a couple of different places. He says, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's Paul's way of encouraging people to be disciples of Christ. Imitate me. And he says this again in 1 Corinthians 4 and Philippians 3 and 4 and 2 Thessalonians 3 and 2 Timothy 3. And this makes sense because Jesus calls his disciples to love as he loved. Friends, knowing God changes how we live. We Christians live in an antagonistic world, so we're always facing pressures not to live as we should. There's so many passages I think teaches that. 1 Peter 4 is very clear on that. Or Philippians, Philippians 2, even after Paul has just praised Christ in the great hymn on humility, we read in, Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is why Paul set up his own example of living you see that as he writes to the Philippians or when he writes to Timothy. So if we would affect how someone lives, we have to spend time with them. So Elizabeth invites Kate over to talk to her while she gets the baking done. Do what you do. Simply bring people with you to do it. That's what Jesus did. Mark chapter 3. He invited to come with him those whom he wanted. And when you invite them into your life, be transparent. Be transparent. Facades waste time. Don't do that. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. We invite others to learn even from our mistakes. I remember when Connie and I were early in our marriage, we, uh, we had a woman living with us who's a good friend of Connie's down in our basement. She walked in on us one time when we were in the midst of an argument. Connie and I paused, somewhat embarrassed, That we looked at each other and we said, you know, she might be able to learn from this. So I'm good, how about you? Yep. So we kept arguing then and we... <laughs> invited her just to stay and learn what she could from it. We don't always do that. We may not even often do that. But we have sometimes done that. And I'm sure you can think of things in your own life, how even things you've not done well can be used as great fodder for other people's education. How you've made a mistake, how you've done something in a way actually you wouldn't do it now if you had a chance to do it again, but you've been honest about it and clear with it, and then they can see how you're thinking it through and then they can learn from your mistakes. I think we want to ask if we can share those struggles with others uh, without dishonoring anybody in the process. We should want those we disciple to prosper in prayer and to improve in evangelism and continue in church membership and help them bear with each other in church. We want to study the Bible with each other And in, in order to get into each other's lives. We can take what we've heard b- about in the sermon, whether it's From James here this morning or from Job last week with us, we can follow the implications into our lives more personally on an individual one-on-one or maybe it could be a small group of of three or four. We want to help each other be more holy as we put off sin. Uh, One example of this that's so helpful is the extended consideration uh, that you find in Paul's writing to Titus. In uh, Titus chapter 2, When he says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Much more we could say, but just to, to summarize this second point... We want clear aims. So we've thought about who we want to disciple. Now I've said we want clear aims in that discipling. We want to understand God and his ways, and we want to live as the Bible calls us to. We want to be accurate in our understanding and holy in our living. We want to know the truth, and we want to live well, all to the glory of the God in whose image we are made. Now before we break off into some time for Q&A, let me cover a third point, Um disciple someone, to do that, you will have to, number three, pay the cost. You will have to pay the cost in terms of time, study, prayer, and love. Again, many other factors we could mention, but let me just mention these four. Time, study, prayer, and love. Hebrews 10.24 tells us that we should consider how we should spur one another on. You know, people often go to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 just to talk about church attendance. But really, it's a very active involvement with the congregation. You're giving time outside of the assembly to think about how you can spur one another. He's writing to the members on, how you can spur them on in love and good deeds. Well, friends, that's really what we're doing here tonight. We're strategizing. We've kind of pulled aside from normal life just for a little while to think, okay, how can I look back at that assembly that I'm a part of and do a better job trying to disciple and part of it is being clear about these, at least these four aspects. It will take time. Uh, we want to, to base it in the Bible. We want to pray. And it will definitely take love. Just mention those four aspects again. It takes time. We should base it in the Bible. We should pray. And it takes love. First, it takes time. When I say it, I should be clear that All discipling relationships don't look the same. All of my discipling relationships don't look the same. They conform to the circumstances of my life and the other person's life. So for example, yesterday afternoon, Mark came and hung out in my study for the first time. It's a Saturday afternoon, Mark is married. Mark can't normally come and spend a few hours just hanging out in my study on Saturday afternoon, but he did yesterday for some reason. So we got some good conversation happen. People's lives change over time. So I may, I may see someone every day for a while. So during COVID, Gordon and I got so many World War II documentaries watched. I mean, I, I am an expert now on World War II. Uh, and then we went on to World War I. Uh, but then COVID ended, and he had to go back to work, so we see each other less frequently. So you may see somebody very frequently, and then once a week, and then once a month. Also, those relationships can fall anywhere on a wide spectrum of more or less formal Uh, Some of you may need to go have a sort of DTR after the service tonight, you know, just to see where you are or where someone you're discipling is thinking about, if they need to be discipled maybe by someone else. Uh, Others of you will go on discipling or being discipled, uh, never calling it that, and that's fine. Uh, One thing all of these relationships will have in common, however, is that they will take time. And it's the fact that it takes time that means we usually have to be deliberate about discipling someone else. And that we can each have only a limited number of such relationships. So if you write a book or if you preach to large groups, there is one kind of discipling that happens. So this is a kind of discipling. Now, the time I, I spent working on this is part of discipling. But the focus of what we're talking about tonight is a kind of discipling that happens more in a one-to-one setting. Or some other very small group of three or four that is deliberate and intentional. So even if your schedules do work together so that you can find some time when you're both available to spend with each other, it will take that time. Convenience will not entirely eliminate cost. Convenience will not entirely eliminate cost. Anytime we do life-on-life relationships, when we do something more than simply read a book, but we talk about what it means for us, we give to the other person the gift of time. And you can do that in small ways, like talking to each other after church or running errands with each other. Or you can do it in larger ways, like a regular weekly gathering or or meeting together or having someone to a meal uh, with your family regularly. And there's a great variety of ways we can spend time together, sometimes at a coffee shop, other times at a library, other times at the auto repair shop or at the gym. Uh, You may find that some people are so willing to spend time with you that they'll simply offer to let you fold them into your life. And at various stages of your life, they can serve your family, and it can work really well. You help make the, to make the time worthwhile by being transparent and honest in the relationship. Um, I think sometimes our times of enduring hardship that we may feel are less valuable and uncomfortable to share are actually the most valuable things for other people to witness. I think trials expose what our hearts truly trust in. Expose where our hopes really are. Time passing in a fallen world always brings trials. The trials are key times in di- discipling relationships, whether the trial is in the life of the one who is discipling or the one who is being discipled. And uh, just beware: if you wait to build these relationships until you need them, it may be too late. So that's why, particularly the pastors present, you want to just salt this into your teaching. So that it's not when people are desperate and feeling lonely, they start doing this. But when people are in sort of normal days, they start doing that. That prepares them for these times. So number one, it takes time, pay the cost. Number two, uh, base it in the Bible. Uh, The local church is the natural context for discipling relationship. Well, if faith comes through hearing the word, Romans 10, we want to keep feeding it. The expositional sermons you normally hear preached in a church are great foundations for conversations in the coming week with those you're meeting up with. Other books can feed into them uh, that you read with them on this or that Bible topic. So in your discipling relationships, use the Bible, spend time in the Word. If you want a very practical little thing to get you started, J.C. Ryle's Thoughts for Young Men are good for old women, I mean, they're good for everybody. I've not found anybody for whom that little book is not good. Uh, I called Banner of Truth, I called Ian Thompson over at Banner of Truth last week, and I just said, Ian, how can I get a bunch of copies of that book really cheap? I'm just going to give them away. So he's going to send me a big box with a bunch of them. I'm going to pay him a little money, and I'm just going to give them out. Like, you know, they're just—it's good for everybody. So find books like that that you know that you feel comfortable with, and just start spreading them around. Third, pray. So it takes time. Based on the Bible: three pray. First, Thessalonians five seventeen. Paul tells us, pray without ceasing. Pray for those that you're discipling. Uh, there are brothers that I pray for every day. Uh, I love them. Now, many of them I don't get to see that often, but I I pray for them. And I assume that that is part of how I can be a blessing in their lives. Pray that those you're discipling learn how to pray from the very way you're praying for them. The changes that happen in us, even through apparently human means like you and me, are supernatural changes. And we should be clear on that with each other and in our own minds. Ask them questions that help them think about what they're praying for. Uh, Do they know how to take a passage of Scripture and pray from it? Are they spending any personal time in prayer? What kind of things are they praying about? Who are they praying for? Do they pray about their friendships? Do they pray about ministry? Do they pray about their money? About friends they would like to see converted? About their own purity and holiness? If you'd like a good example of a book that shows us how we can pray from Scripture, I love D.A. Carson's book, Praying with Paul. He takes the prayers in Paul's letter and he uses them as examples of how we can pray. Number fourth, love. Jesus in John thirteen thirty four instructs us, just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Uh, Mark 12, as I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus summarizes the whole law in two commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You see how important love is then if we're to have a ministry in each other's life of discipling one another it's in love that we initiate relationships why else would we even attempt to disciple someone else it is love that has constrained us to go beyond serving ourselves to attempt to serve somebody else it's love that causes us to reject uh, to risk the rejection that always threatens when we consider starting a relationship it's always love for god and for others that leads us to overlook the difficulties that are inevitable and the cost that's there, because we desire to see someone else benefited. We need love to initiate a discipling relationship. But it's also love that we need in order to persevere in a discipling relationship. Why else would we continue through the challenges that come? He's taking me for granted. He doesn't see what's, what saying that did to me. I'm just too busy. I kind of needed to do something else, but I passed up that for now in order to meet up with this friend. Discipling relationships can be great, but even great relationships can take a love that will persevere not because of how lovely the human friend that we're loving is to us, but because of how radically and completely we've been loved by God. And that love spills over and keeps spilling over. So you cannot get into a discipling relationship for the love you experience from the person you're discipling. That is a recipe for disaster, manipulation, and complete mirage. No, no, no. You, you, you love out of the love God has given you. I love that sermon at the end of charity and its fruits. Heaven is a world of love. Great sermon. It's in love that we humble ourselves to receive the criticism that so often comes in a good discipling relationship. Uh, little love makes way for big ego. If my concern is not for how the other person is doing, but for how that other person is thinking about me, then it will be very hard for me to love them as I need to in order to disciple them. I won't be able to be the kind of example of someone who receives correction from the word, who loves the rebuke of a friend as I should. Proverbs 27, six, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But to recognize that, I need to have a love for God that exceeds my love for myself. And I need to have a love for the one who's speaking to me. And it's in love that we humble ourselves to give to the one we're discipling as much as we're called to give. Maybe we're tempted to think that we're being too big or that we are too important or that we are too busy uh, in order to do this kind of discipling. Um, And apart from that, what other considerations there would be in our schedules The only answer to that is is to have a love that helps us to have the humility to value the other person as we should. And so to give to them what we can. We build relational capital in order to spend it for the good of those that we're loving. And it's actually in love that we humble ourselves to end discipling relationships. We are not God, that person does not ultimately need us. We are a way station. We are an eternal companion, one we trust of countless millions. We can't provide everything someone needs. We might not always be available. We might not always be right. People move. Another child is born. You get a different job. Circumstances change. Maybe they need something that I'm not really equipped to give them. We need a love that humbles us to realize that what they need is not us, but God that God can use us for a while and then use others in their lives. So much we could say on how to disciple. But these are four crucial aspects of any discipling relationship. Time, the Bible, prayer, and love. I pray that God will bless all of these in your own life as you use them in the lives of others. Now, if we're getting through this message and you're someone who understands yourself as being discipled by this person or even these people, you could be tempted to even feel bad. Kind of like, wow, I didn't realize I was so much work. (laughs) Friends, we are all called to love, and that means we're all called to be loved. So don't worry. You know, you'll never be given anything that the Lord doesn't mean you to turn around and give to others in some form or fashion. Everything we have is a stewardship. Any time or truth, any prayer or love expended on you can be a great incentive for you to give time to others, inviting them into your life, praying for them, studying the Bible with them, loving them, just like someone has done for you. Richard Sibbs, the Puritan, wrote, We must one day give an account to God, not only for what sermons we've heard, but for the examples of those amongst whom we've lived. Could it be that in our evangelical churches today, we've been providing primarily words, good words, true and needed words, and yet words which are alone, incomplete, without the context of the lives to explain and demonstrate their meaning? Certainly the lives of people in your congregation have touched others who have been through the church in many ways. But too often, it's no plan of a Christian individual's discipleship to turn and disciple others. So the purpose of this time tonight is to turn on that self-consciousness, to try to encourage that in our churches. So, brothers and sisters, the opportunities we have in this nation in our day are immense if I just think of our own situation, just a, a couple of hours from here on Capitol Hill, even those members of our congregation who are only with us for a few years, they then go and join other churches. They get to take things that they might learn among us and be encouraged in and bless other churches with those things. So they offer us an opportunity to extend the ministry of our congregation to being a blessing to even more of God's people. I had the joy just a few weeks ago of having a brother come up to me who was a minister in our area. I'd met him before. I'd never been to his church for a service. He'd not, he not been to ours. He was just leaving his church to go elsewhere. He was an associate, he was becoming a senior pastor. And he came to our church, very excited, he introduced himself to me at the door. And he said, you know, I've been at the E-Free church out in Annandale for 15 years. And I've always wanted to come here uh, to one of your services. And I couldn't, but, but now I'm here. I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. And I said, and what gave you the great you know, desire to come here? He said, you wouldn't believe how many members we've gotten from you guys. You know, and, uh, and he didn't mean that fundamentally in people, you know, getting upset and leaving us there, maybe some of that, but he said, we just hear again and again that you're standing at the door and somebody tells you they're in Annandale or near Annandale and you say, have you checked out the E-Free church there? And he said, we've just had so many people come because you've recommended them. Friends, that's, that's the kind of life we can share between our churches for the glory of God and our opportunities that we face a great challenge. We should be motivated, not by the greatness of the challenge, but spiritually for the glory of God and all of the opportunities he gives us. His wonderful love for us compels us then to love others. When I was talking with a friend about this once, he remarked that as he was considering it with some others, he simply thanked God for what he's done in our church where people want to have friendships with other Christians. Thank God for such a culture. I pray you know that in your churches, uh, that, that people want to love each other that they want to see not just the ministry from the pulpit, praise God for the ministry in the pulpit, the word of God from the pulpit, we want that, but also the ministry of the word of God circulating among the members of the congregation, deliberately being in each other's lives, uh, trying to help each other. Praise God for his good work. I pray that you'll be a part of that in your own congregation. Let me just pray for you, and then we'll take a few minutes for Q&A. Lord God, we thank you for your love and your persevering patience with us. Pray that you'd give us wisdom in our love. Uh, Give us insight in the way we should live with the days that you give us. We pray that you'd bless each church represented here. Pray that they would be thick with a culture of loving each other by the work of your Holy Spirit. Help us in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: There are going to be two lines. Questions can be asked over here. If you have them, you can just walk to this mic. There's going to be one over there. We're going to ask you to to get up and move to those. So if you want to start moving now, uh, I'm going to give you an initial question in a moment, Mark. Uh, But what we'd really like for you to do is to ask a question. So get up, ask a question. Don't preface it as much as you can. Cut to the chase. Uh, So make sure it's also a question useful for the room. Uh, If you have something more personal that you'd like to ask, perhaps you can catch Mark after this evening. So go ahead and move to the lines. Look for a question in just a moment. Uh, Mark, there might be many people here, at least one of the things I've heard people say is, I've never been discipled. How can I disciple somebody else? Uh, They've never been in a relationship like this. Any just quick wisdom you'd give to somebody who feels, hey, I I know that I want to do that, do spiritual good, but I never had that friendship.
1: Yeah. Uh, Few remarks on that. I hear that all the time. Number one, you've probably been discipled more than you realize it. Uh, Number two, I don't think I was ever discipled in a kind of very deliberate navigator's way. I'm meeting with you once a week to teach you God's word. I don't think that ever happened to me. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, the kind of ministry I got involved in in college didn't do that. So I think I just started doing it sort of from reading Scripture and, you know, caring about whoever I was meeting with. One of the first people that I met up with regularly was in his mid-40s. He was the Presbyterian pastor of the church I was attending. And on Friday afternoons, we'd just go take a walk. And I would just ask him a lot of questions about his life. Yeah. And then he started asking me questions about my life. So who's was discipling him? I don't know. But we were discipling each other, helping each other follow Christ.
0: Go ahead and move to a microphone. I know there are some questions here. All right,
1: Eric Rose. And I don't take it personally if there are no questions. I'm, I'm good with that. That's, that's absolutely all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just here because no one else is standing up. So. But
1: I, I need to know your name, where you're at church, and what you do there.
0: Yeah, my name's Eric Mark. Um, I'm a member of this church here, Christ Church Westchester. Um, my question is, as a new Christian, um, how do I know when the right time for me to start discipleship is? Um, you know, new in the faith, new
1: in knowledge, how
0: do I know when it's right?
1: Yeah, it's right. Yeah. He, he, you never have to share more than you know. What a hard thing that would be. You only have to share what you know. Anything you know can be useful to others. Have at it. Yep, thank you. So, like, if you're meeting with somebody and you start to explain the trinity and you say, I, it's, I don't know, it's like five persons and it's like the, then they might help you. And go, actually, there are three. And see, that's still working. It doesn't really matter which way the growth happens. It's just, it's going either way so have at
0: it would you say that that's different than, than maybe like starting a ministry or something like that you might say wait on something like that but you would encourage somebody to immediately try to do spiritual good like if somebody said hey,
1: immediately I'm try to do spiritual good I mean, if you're doing something stupid I trust your pastors will tell you yeah yeah but Eric's not Eric you're not stupid but Grant, Grant always said it, 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 you know just attack <laughs> don't, don't ask your officer ahead of you the general on top of you just, just attack And then you can always deal with it later. I just always default in for action.
2: Hi, my name is Sarah Moreau. I'm a member of this church. Um, You had mentioned, you know, kind of with a discipling uh, relationship that sometimes you may not be as equipped as you need to be to kind of have certain discussions. Can you shed some light on when do you maybe reach for more support in the church, more kind of going a counseling direction versus just kind of staying in that discipleship relationship?
1: That's a great question. I don't have a great answer except to say, I just, I think you'll know. When you start feeling like you're getting beyond and you start asking some older Christians for help. Yeah. Good question. You know, in counseling world, they would say you need to know when to refer. It's true in discipling world, too. But I think you tend to know that. I mean, I've been watching this for a long time. I can't think of a lot of examples of people giving really foolish advice. At least it's not clear that it's foolish. Now, there are cases, like, Vince, where, where are you, Vince? Stand up. Vince is one of our interns right now. He and I are involved in loving the same member of our church who wants advice in a particular area, and it's not the clearest thing in the world. So there are going to be times like that. Uh, Yeah, get counsel from other people. Good question, Sarah. Um, I would go here.
0: And I just had a question. And what's your name? Catherine. Hey, Catherine. Um, and I wanted to ask about like, accountability groups versus discipling. Like, is accountability sort of a subset of discipleship, or could you use an accountability setting to disciple? Like, how, what would that look like, and what would be most helpful?
1: Yeah, I think it's a subset. Okay. Uh, accountability groups are, are new-ish, and I kind of don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Uh, but I'm in favor of yeah. them. It's like I feel about small groups. We didn't have small groups in my church when I came. I started small groups, but I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. I mean, they just like, they're better than nothing, but sometimes not much better than nothing. <laughs> so, accountability groups. Here, here's, here's the myth The myth is that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in me, if I train myself to tell you if I have a certain temptation, you know, to, to gossip or to lust or to misspend, whatever it is. If I train myself to tell you that every time, that will act as an added stop on me. And I think, sometimes, I mean, AA has some good stuff in it, you know, but basically the Holy Spirit has to change us. Uh, so being honest about that is definitely good, but that's, that's where I begin and again seeing the limitation of accountability groups. If the brother or sister just lies, they just lie, and an accountability group won't stop that. So, insofar as you want to grow, or the people who want to grow in that area, they can be very helpful. But they're not a silver bullet. Yeah. More encouragement right here. Evening. Keith Allen, Associate Pastor, North Shore Baptist Church. Where? Bayside, Queens. Wow. Hey, Keith. Good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> Thinking about a particular revitalization opportunity, like you came into an older church. Yeah. What could you speak to or share in your experience about creating a discipling culture Mm -hmm. in an older church? Yeah. Almost none of the older people began doing any kind of discipling that they were not already doing. So what had to happen is the people in the church, I just had to have different people in the church. I won't say an old dog can't learn any new tricks, I don't think an old dog is going to learn many new tricks. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is very big, you can do anything he wants. Yeah. but I think basically you need to take somebody the way they are and see how you can best encourage them and use them and younger ones who are coming in can learn, kind of can help set the atmosphere and the culture. That's just my honest answer. Thank you. No shade on the Holy Spirit. You know, I, <laughs> I've seen him sanctify me and others. I know he does that. Yeah. And if you need more help with that, Jared, do you want to stand up? Jared. Just stand up. Jared can help you more on the Holy Spirit helping you even more. Just See Jared. Thanks, brother. Thanks, man. Yep. Hi, my name is uh, Jeff. I go to Redeemer Bible Fellowship Church in Audubon, PA, which is kind of almost closer to Philly. Um, and what so is Redeemer Bible Fellowship? Bible Fellowship Church is a Oh, yeah, yeah. Bible yeah, Fellowship. It. It's a... Yeah. It's a fun little small denomination local around here in Eastern PA and (laughs) offshoot. Two kind of questions. Um, What about a smaller church where it's a little harder to have like specific because
0: you're kind of naming a lot of factors to look for in discipleship, but there's not exactly like a good match in a lot of ways for discipleship.
1: That's a great question. It's not just smaller. It's also sometimes that are more stable in their population. You might have 170 people, but if it's in rural Kentucky and they've been there for four generations, you know, I don't know how much culture changing is going to be going on. But there may be some. And, and you can try to note what the Lord's doing that's good and try to encourage that and pray. And one more quick question. Yeah. What would be a good, for like an initial discipleship relationship, What would be a good first book of the Bible to study? Well, uh, generic answer. First Peter. First me. Thank you. There it is. <laughs> First Peter. It's inspired
0: by God. Do you have a question? <laughs> if you have a question, go ahead and move to one of the microphones for us. Say what? I'm telling them. If they have a question, go ahead and move to a microphone. You keep going.
2: Hey Mark, it's Deb Smith. Hey Deb, um, good to see you, sister. Good to see you too. Um, I'm a member of Risen Christ Fellowship in Philadelphia. But I just moved back to D.C., Mark, so I'm visiting Temple Hills Baptist. So. Oh, wonderful. Right, right,
1: right. Omar preaches the word.
2: He can preach, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll have our family reunion later. Um, my question is, you said, of course, Sunday morning is discipleship. Yeah. Midweek Bible study is discipleship, yeah. even small groups. But have you, do you have any thoughts on equipping older women to be able to disciple young women? Um, in a formal way? Because the men seem to naturally get that kind of equipping because the men are going to be with the men. But the older women, I think someone alluded to not feeling equipped. Mm -hmm. How do they get that? And without assuming that they should just be getting it when they're in church and in the Bible studies. Have you, have you any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. That's how most people get it. Um, through their times in church. Now, you know, we're free in Christ. There's a thousand ways you can do it, you know, through phone calls. I'm, I'm sure, like, if you look at my own ministry, I always try to stay at the public services longer than, you know, just the public service so I'm standing there, and particularly on Sunday mornings, available for people. And I'm sure 80% of my conversations are with sisters. You know, so I'm, I'm definitely, in my email traffic, that's probably about 80% is with sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it may be just a communicative nature the Lord made women to have, uh, there's going to be more inter-traffic that goes on there between our minds, uh, you know, communicating about things, and there will be between the guys in the church. Uh, I know that um, some of the elders at ARC regularly met mm-hmm. with some of the older sisters in the church, and I think some of the older sisters found that valuable. That's one way to do it. Uh, I, I sometimes teach the, women, the senior ladies class on Sunday morning at church. Mm-hmm. So there are tons of ways you're, you could, you'd be free to do it. Just try to find something that works. Mm-hmm.
2: And just follow up, would you recommend that pastors find a way to do that? Do what we did at ARC or do what you do with the seniors' women to intentionally pour into the older women so they can feel more equipped?
1: Yeah. Well, kind of, but it's an infinite bucket when you get to any particular group that you described feeling more by more of the pastor's attention. So I'm going to be kind of careful about that. I'm certainly going to pray for them. I'm going to have a limited thought about what I can do. And uh, But, yeah, you can try lots of things. Thank you. Yeah. Being candidly uncommitting there, but, yeah. but I appreciate the intention. Yep. I'm John, I'm a member here
0: at Christ Church. Um, who do you think the primary responsibility rests on to start the relationship, the one who wants to be discipled or the one who wants to disciple? Because my fear is there are people that I would want to disciple, but maybe I'm offering something that they don't really want.
2: Yeah, I just risk um, it.
1: Just risk it? Yeah.
0: Okay. Sure.
1: Yep. <laughs> John, I hate to play into stereotypes, stereotype, sort of, but a lot of being a man is just risking things. Just risk it, man. Yeah, and, and, and you, will, you will effectively be told no sometimes, and that's okay. Keep going. They may be right in telling you no. Know? Yeah. Uh,
0: Stephen Merck. I'm a pastor up in uh, Hillside Haven Community Church in Clark Summit. Um, A lot of your list of the nine different categories uh, is geared towards an effective ministry of looking at where you are going to have uh, a very effective role. I guess the question is, as a pastor, when you have someone that on paper does not seem effective and yet God has entrusted them to your flock, there's a difficulty with finding people who would be willing to disciple them because... It
2: just looks like it's going to be a labor in vain. What what do we do in those situations when I could spend my time over here and it looks like that's going to be way better, and yet this person clearly needs help and seems unlovable. They're they're more one of the least of these.
1: First name again? Stephen. Stephen. I don't, if your congregation is very large, I don't imagine you're going to find somebody to disciple everybody in your church. That's why I talk more vaguely about a culture of discipling. Get going and see what happens. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying a navigator, make sure there's a pyramid and everybody's accounted for somewhere in the pyramid. I'm I'm not saying that. Hi, I'm Tim Garber. When I give these short answers, we can get through a thousand questions. I mean, the answers may be unsatisfying, but think of the number of questions we get through. This is like Arminian evangelism.
0: Garber. I'm an elder here at Christ Church, Westchester. Um, My question is, as a young father um, and a husband, and I work a full-time job as well. um, What's what's your job? I'm a teacher, a math teacher. Um, It can be difficult to invest the time that you need into discipleship relationships. And so I guess my question is, have you found that one-on-many discipleship, like a one-on-four, where you have like a Bible study where you're going through with a group of four guys, um, is good enough is not the word that good enough is the word that comes to mind. Yes. Um,
1: should you I think be it's investing? Good enough. Okay.
0: Should you be investing though that one-on-one time as well and
1: making pockets to? No, nah, don't worry about it. Just that. do the one-on-four. Okay. <laughs> When you feel like you got more time, you can do more. But I mean, it's just, you know, you, you got your job, you got your wife, you got your kids. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> i are just dispensing it. <laughs> you, you get to clean up, brother. Uh, uh. Hey, Mark. Uh, I'm Mark from uh, Hope Community Church in Gilbertsville. I'm an elder there. And uh, my question is how do you, or what are some indicators you have or you look for that gauges whether you're having a healthy level of discipleship? in your congregation, or when it's slipping maybe to be unhealthy? That's a good question. Um, I assume that there's always going to be more uh, opportunity than you'll ever have time to or, or ability to know how you can kind of capitalize on. So in that sense, I assume we're always playing catch-up. So I, I don't know if there would ever be a time in a pastoral situation where you think, oh, I've got this sorted. I mean, I think there's just always... Because people move, new people are born, new people come to Christ. Life circumstances change. So I think down here in the Church Militant, we're always kind of catching up with what's going on. Are there signposts or things you see that might change? I mean, I don't want to be discouraging. I I just praise God for the good that you see and keep going. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
2: Sorry, this yes. time. <laughs> Wendy Stagora, Covenant Fellowship Church. Um, First you, name again? Wendy. Wendy? Yep. And church again? Covenant Fellowship Church.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, you mentioned ending
0: discipleship and what that yeah. looks like. And do you have thoughts? Because it can sometimes, I feel like it can feel like a breakup. And so you're like, how do I have a relationship with this person, but we can't have that same, maybe intimate relationship that we had?
1: Yeah. Um, if there's, you know, usually that's going to happen if, it's, if we're not talking about death. It's going to happen through some change that's, you know, punctilier in time. They move. They get married. Uh, and then I think it's probably appropriate and, and often edifying for you to lead the way in saying, you know, uh, in this time we're going to spend together, I just want to stop and look back and thank God for some of the things that we've seen him do. Because uh, I think we're going to have less time coming up, which is, I trust him entirely with that. It might me sad in some ways, but I trust him. And let's just let's just mark these things the Lord has done, and let's thank Him for them.
2: What about relationships that they don't move? But you said like circumstances
0: change, like another baby or something else. Same so thing. So you are same thing. Just have same you. thing. Okay.
1: Yeah. Good. Thanks. Yeah. Good question. Well, look at that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, Matt Ostro, East Brady Wine Baptist Church in downtown.
0: Just a follow-up to that. Is there ever a point in a discipleship relationship where? Maybe the person you're
1: discipling is not teachable. Wait, man, are you the pastor? Youth pastor. Oh, who's your senior pastor? Brian Fuller. How's that, how's he doing? Great, I Excellent. love him. Yeah, um, you probably know Byron, so, yeah, he's back there. Anyway, hey, Byron. yeah, um, yeah, so is there a point where you would
0: say, this isn't working, but not because somebody moved or had a baby, just because maybe yeah, they're, they're not no, teachable? Yeah, no, definitely.
1: Or, That's one of the glorious things about discipling and being so informal. You know, when, when Tom calls, and you're looking like, yeah, this week is not good. Um, let's see, next week, yeah, I'm out of time. For... How about the week after? You just, you, can just, you just find time as you have it, as you think is appropriate. And Do you ever need to tell Tom, this is just not working? I don't know if you need to tell him that. Maybe, I don't know. I would just, <laughs> you don't want to discourage him. Byron, did you ever notice how I stopped returning your phone calls? So, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry
0: Would you all help me thank Mark for being here with us this evening? <laughs> and go birds.
1: Uh,
0: I recognize the sacrifice that many of you paid to be here this evening. Uh, Just a reminder, if you're a guest with us, uh, we have our Sunday Night Theology cards. It outlines all of the lectures for the remainder of the year. You walk through that tunnel, turn to the right. There should be a display area. You should be able to find that sermon cards, verse-by-verse cards, Sunday Night Theology cards. Feel free to take as many as you would like. Thank you for coming. Mark, thank you for serving us this evening. Uh, Yeah, indeed, very grateful for that. I am going to be moving Mark along in a little while to take him to dinner. So I'm just going to tell you now, if you think, oh, I'm going to catch him for a question, catch him for a question. Because the opportunity will go away for you this evening. Otherwise, we're thankful that you're here. Let me close us in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege to be able to to gather with these saints tonight and to sit under the teaching of Mark and to be able to learn. We pray that you would help us. Help us uh, to serve our churches, to create cultures of discipleship where we're investing in others, doing spiritual good. Uh, to them so that they might follow Jesus. But I'm particularly thankful for Mark's exhortation uh, to remind us to love them in the way that God has loved us. Not to receive love from them, but to to love them because God has loved us. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us. Perhaps there are areas where we need to repent, where we have loved because we so desperately need to be loved. Uh, May we look to the cross and be reminded of how much you have demonstrated your love for us, sending your son to die for us. God, we pray that you would help us to to love others in this way. Uh, We pray for people in our churches that you might even now be preparing conversations for us uh, where we would be able to walk alongside them, to encourage them, to admonish them, and to receive the same from them. Help us to be teachable. And Father, finally, I just want to pray for pastors and members of other churches represented here outside of Christ Church. Lord, we are so thankful for so many other like-minded churches in our immediate area and region and the broader area and region. We're grateful, Father, for your work of grace in those churches. We pray that you would bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them. Bless the ministry of the word for those pastors who are preaching. Bless the membership that they might help continue to steward that in their communities and in their local church. Father, we ask tonight as we leave here and as we lay our heads on our pillows tonight that we would be reminded in our need for physical rest of the deep need for spiritual rest that we have by faith in Christ. And may we be reminded in your kindness to us today to bring us together with these people, to remind us of simple things, that, that we are not alone. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the mighty friend of sinners. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, Anthony. I want a picture with
1: you, too. Here you go. Thor. men. Thor. <laughs>